Hello, and welcome to the Game On Podcast. My name is Adam Bello. I am the CEO and co-founder of Breakout EDU, but I'm also a father, a serial ed tech entrepreneur, and an advocate for positive change in the classroom. Each episode of the Game On Podcast is going to feature a new voice from someone who's making an amazing impact and helping to pave the way for the future of education. We're going to get to explore their ideas and opinions, as well as learn from those successes and failures from these amazing educational gurus. All right, let's get started. All right, welcome to the Game On Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bello, and I'm really excited to be joined with just an incredible educator and someone who really knows the field of gaming and educational games uh, really, really well. Someone I've bumped into many times over the last several years, and I'm super excited to have him on the show, Dr. Matthew Farber. Matthew, welcome. Hi, uh, excited to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, I, as you're saying that, I can't remember the last time we saw each other because there was something going on around 2020 for a couple of years. And oh, what was that? Oh, remember. yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that was a pause. Um, yeah. I think actually, I was thinking about it. I think the last time we we saw each other was at the museum. Was it in the computer Palo history? Alto? Museum. Yes, the computer history museum yeah. out in California. So that was super yeah. fun. Couple years I put ago. My, uh, my, my timeline is based on educational trends. So at that point, the Uber driver was asking about blockchain. Yeah. On the way to that conference. <laughs> so then we've gone from like blockchain to uh, NFTs to the metaverse. To AI. Now we're, chat, <laughs> now we're in chat GPT. Right? Yeah. That's where we are. <laughs> that, that's it. Only for the next few minutes. And the next big thing is coming yeah. again. Um, Ooh, shiny. Yeah, so exactly. Exactly. Apple's about to reinvent or invent AR. That's, that's right. what I'm waiting yeah. for. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> super fun. Um, well, awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat. You know, obviously, I uh, could introduce you. I know you've been doing a tremendous amount of things in the gaming space. I know you've written a whole bunch of, of books, most recently a book about gaming and SEL, which obviously for us here at Breakout, that's that's super exciting and uh, important work as well. But why don't you give, you know, for the, for the people that don't know who you are, how would you describe yourself to someone, your elevator pitch as to the work that you do? Sure, thanks. Uh, I study games and learning, specifically games and social and emotional learning. Even more specifically, those competencies, SEL could be a pretty broad term, and there's like 146 yep. frameworks for real. Uh, so I uh, look at empathy pers- uh, or empathic concern, how that can empathy can lead to pr- uh, compassion, uh, pro-social gaming, uh, perspective taking, and, and those competencies. And in making games and playing different types of games. So I have a lab called the Gaming SEL Lab where we um, play and create curriculum around games. Uh, we develop games, we're doing that now, and we are also uh, studying existing games and game programs. That's incredible. <laughs> I feel like I, I wanna be a student. I mean, that's that's an awesome, awesome class. Um, you know, that, it's great. So. I guess we'll get started. You know, our level one question here, the podcast always starts with a question. Play obviously is super important to us here at Breakout EDU. We take it super seriously. So I'm always interested in learning, you know, what was your favorite game to play as a kid and what are you playing now? And the honest answer, you know, it it, obviously when you were a kid, it doesn't have to be a video game. It could be whatever board game tag doesn't matter. And the same for now, but I know you've been playing a lot of stuff. So I'd love to kind of know your past favorite and then current favorite. Sure, that's a great question. So um, I think about this sometimes. Uh, the games I played growing up, I mean, I played the traditional family board game, Scrabble, Monopoly, right? Um, I was terrified of perfection. 
I didn't oh, know yeah. those pegs would fly <laughs> in the air. That's right. Still, still scarring. Um, and uh, I, I was an avid choose your own adventure book reader, Dungeons and Dragons early on, you know, in that early 80s period. And uh, I had a Commodore 64 computer. So that really uh, left a big imprint on me playing all sorts of games on there. For some reason, I like this game Ghostbusters that was on there at the time. I totally is, played uh, that. Yeah. Totally played that. Impossible Mission was another one. I remember liking that on the Commodore 64. I mean, oh, I had awesome. Atari, but I really liked the Commodore 64 computer games. Yeah, that's awesome. You, know? you ever play Space and, Harrier? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. And also, you can code. So like, I remember playing um, Lemonade Stand, and then there was like a... Uh, a video store called I forgot what it's called Video Den, right? Kind of a kind of a shady name, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Video Den, and uh, I made like a knockoff of Lemonade Stand, but about renting videos. Oh, that's and awesome! Returning them, and huh. uh, yeah, I, I didn't really thought about that until like now, right? I guess that's what eventually led me back to this this path here. That's awesome. Did you code in BASIC? Was that the uh... <laughs> I yeah. did. It was so frustrating. Yeah. It was like that navy blue screen with a slightly lighter border around it and spent many hours <laughs> in that screen. Yeah. Like I remember introducing my kid to like Twine coding in that and he, mm-hmm. he just finished learning uh, Python and micro bits in sixth grade class. And That's like, awesome. I wonder where I would be today if that was what was available back then, right? That's incredible. Languages. That's really awesome. I got frustrated. I quit because of like the frustrations of basic. I think everybody. I mean, like that's that's a very common uh, a common theme. My son's doing Swift right now. He's going through okay. all those modules for Apple. It's, uh, he loves it. That's fun. Yeah, the dreaded syntax error. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> right. You know, you know, I would take out books from the library. I would copy pages and pages of code to make whatever game it was, alter it the way I wanted to, and then all of a sudden realize there's a typo somewhere, but I don't know which of the twelve hundred lines there was a typo in. Um, exactly. So what about old. now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so what, what about chat- now? ChatGPT can code, which is like, whoa. It's insane. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so insane. cool. Yeah, right now I just finished playing a game. Um, uh, well, I just started playing a game uh, called uh, um, Life is Strange 2, which oh, cool. I played I played the other ones. I played the most recent one, Life is Strange um, True Colors, where your superpower is empathy. And for I'm doing this for a bit of research also to uh, see where the emotions lie. And a game I just finished, which I recommend, is called Before Your Eyes. Okay. And uh, Before Your Eyes is a – I play a lot of sad games. So. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, and, and this one, you replay uh, somebody's life story. And uh, the interface is blinking. So you, I played on an iPad, but you can play on Steam, on your webcam. And, and you control like normal. But every time you blink your eyes, that memory you're reliving is over. And you can't go back. So oh you're gosh. on a beach blanket with your mother and you you keep your eyes open really as much as you can to take in as much as you can. And when you blink, maybe it's the next day, the next hour, maybe it's five years later. And oh you get gosh. to relive <laughs> and then redo all these moments in your life. It's quite a powerful experience. That's amazing. That's really, really amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I played Life is Strange the first one. I didn't know there was a second one out. So I haven't, uh, haven't seen that yet. Yeah, that one came out maybe like five years ago, and people kept telling me to play it. The newest one is called um, True Colors, Life is Strange True Colors. Oh, cool. It was actually developed in Colorado, and it takes place up in a mountain town that kind of looks like Breckenridge. That's what I think it is. Okay, <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful game. That's, I'll definitely check that out then. 
Very, very cool. All right. So our level two questions about history, right? So everyone's got an origin story. Obviously, we've been doing this work for, for a while. What is it that kind of put you on the path to be doing the work you're doing today? Um, okay. Well, that's an interesting question, too, because when we're talking about games, I did not play games uh, for a middle period, I guess, you know, and <laughs> after college, my job, my career before teaching. Um, but I, I would say what specifically put me on this path was uh, the game, uh, the educational game iCivics, the, the platform of games, I should say, uh, because I was a social studies teacher. So do I have the right? I think that was the name of the game. And win the White House. Those are games I played in my social studies class. Sure. And students would go home and play them again and again. And I was like, wow, this is this is great. I wish there was something like this. I, I need 179 more of these games so we could do this every day. <laughs> And I realized that's just not the case. There are not enough, quote, good educational games. But then I, when I married it together with project-based learning, like uh, play win the White House for one class, and then we'll have like genius hour on, um, on you now becoming project-based learning, teaching somebody else the electoral college. You know, it's, I realized it's very much like Minecraft. So it's like survival mode and then creative mode is project-based learning. At, around that time, I was getting my master's degree. And uh, I started writing for Edutopia, which I realized I've been writing for Edutopia for at least a little over a decade now. Which is wow. Mind-blowing. And um, my uh, Edutopia um, editor at the time was um, just saying, like, you know, you wrote about games. Why don't you keep writing about games? And I just kept uh, continuing down that path. That's awesome. So that kind of spurred, spurred this whole thing, huh? It did. It really did. Yeah. And uh, collaborations with UNESCO over the years, their work on digital pedagogy games and SEL, that kept me going on that path. Awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, part of my work with social emotional learning games, honestly, was I, I would see sometimes on Twitter, like uh, years ago, like, oh, here's two kids play, sharing a Chromebook together. They, they're doing teamwork. We check the SEL block. You know, there's a lot of that superficial, you know, Sure. because when you look at standards, you can almost map anything to anything. Right. But I knew, for instance, uh, um, any cooperative board game, not one where everybody gets a soccer trophy, but ones like Pandemic, that board game or an escape room like uh, or escape room in a box, let's say at a uh, we'll call that breakout EDU. Right. You could really see the um, the the games as a, an effective practice space for social emotional learning skills like self-regulation goal setting um perspective taking uh really come into action and and um i find those really interesting spaces to uh, research and and explore yeah i mean i think it's it's ultimately obviously it's something we focus on quite a bit it you know it's very very important and we would like to think of them as not necessarily soft skills, but really the essential skills that these the students really need. Um, mm -hmm. We found, and I don't know if this is some, something you found in your work, is like there has been some schools that push back on the term SEL, and, and we've found like just like, oh, what do you focus on specifically or, or more questioning there? Have you had that uh, you know, recently? Have, has there been any sort of pushback on defining SEL or people that are kind of trying to shy away from the term because they don't really necessarily yeah. understand it? Uh, yeah, you could say that uh, in a bit, right? And it's I'm always like, well, you know, SEL has been around as long as like Mr. Rogers, but it actually has been <laughs> a lot around 
as long as we're humans, because, you know, um, the, the, let's say the Castle framework, for instance, right? And Castle and, the, and, and SEL, the term itself, that started in 1994 or so when there was a meeting of academics and scholars and so forth. And the outcome of the meeting was the term SEL and Castle. So mm-hmm. that was already like 25 years ago. I find it interesting because it's, 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 um, originations are about, um, uh, the book Emotional Intelligence, which is like a business book. Right. You, you and I travel a lot. We're in a lot of airport <laughs> bookstores, right? Yep. And that's, that's, that emotional intelligence book is always still there in the carousel and all like the Hudson newsstands, right? <laughs> that's I mean, what's right. more? Right. So, I mean, that's really the origination of SEL as it's not necessarily even character um, education. It's intentionally a little bit different in that it starts with emotional intelligence. That's always been around. Now, as a researcher, we we ran into this issue. We study this platform called PikaPack. And I do some advising with PikaPack, which is a a great um, digital ebook series. And Actually, it's, it, what it is is a series of what is called bibliotherapy. And bibliotherapy is when you um, read books that have messages. So psychologists may uh, share books with children who are experiencing parents who are, who are divorcing. And they'll give them a book and they'll read that story about that. But their bibliotherapy goes back to religious parables, uh, Aesop's fables, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, stories about why you should be honest, right? Why yeah. you should be have empathy, right? Uh, and this has been around as long as we've been humans, right? Yep. <laughs> these, these sorts of stories with messages. So anyway, we did this study with Pika Pack in a large school district, and we used a preset measurement platform that just said, "Oh, SEL," uh, and that platform um, didn't actually measure empathy. It only measured like three components of SEL, and they just used the word SEL. It's mm-hmm. quite broad. Um, and uh, we we found that um, no difference between the control group and the experimental group using PikaPack. And we think the reason was that it wasn't even measuring what we needed to measure. So we've been in our process now of developing our own measurement um, for PikaPack specifically. That way we can measure what it is that we're even talking about. Because mm. people throw around SEL so broadly. Right. You know? Like, here's an example for educators. I'm sure know this. When we're talking about project-based learning, PBL Works is a great resource. And they have the eight um, gold standard, right? The eight components. And you can sure. print that out and do a checklist. Authentic audience, driving question. But framework, for instance, you can't really do that. You can't say that there's going to be empathic concern, goal setting, um, teamwork in every lesson. You know, it's not like a checklist, even though it's a framework, right? Um, So I think it's best to sometimes think about the competencies that undergird the framework. Um, Quandary is a really good video game that is about from MIT. It's it's in the Learning Games Network. I think it's on BrainPop also. And it looks at only uh, ethical decision-making and perspective-taking. That's it. Yep. Right? Maybe that's enough, right? So I, I, when, when that conversation topic comes up, my advice is to maybe just a, don't even say SEL. Talk about <laughs> perspective-taking. Sure. <right? laughs> 
Because yeah. that's really what we're talking about, right? Because SEL can be a, br- a pretty broad, nebulous thing. And educators and education systems in general love acronyms. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's uh, alphabet soup over here. And so, yeah, I, I like that advice too. I mean, you mentioned over 170 different things that SEL could potentially relate to. So defining yeah. and then really kind of giving a, uh, you know, an understanding as to what that is and why we're, why we're caring about it. Um, it's pretty clear. So, yeah, like uh, my wife teaches in a pretty uh, red school district, we'll say, right? And there's not a lot in Colorado, but she is in one. And they have the mood meter and, and all that, right? And uh, that's uh, for people not li- listening who don't know. It's from the Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence. Uh, but you can Google mood meter and four quadrants with different emotions. And we don't talk. We don't. I don't know if anybody even uses the word SEL with that. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But it's about identifying how you're feeling in the day and putting a word to it and um, understanding that emotion and how that might drive your daily experience. Yeah. I mean, it's so, as I said before, I mean, it's just obviously (laughs) all your work focuses on this now. It's so vitally important. And I think it's something that that schools really, as you said, they've been doing it for a long time. And whether they call it SEL or not, I feel like it's it's something that they need to focus on, Uh, you know, that there are there are students that desperately need this, especially coming out of the pandemic and coming out of all these other social things going on that we hear about on the news every day. So, Yeah, it's um, super important. And neural pathways are, are uh, really um, the neuroplasticity of uh, the youth's brain. So if it's uh, early childhood or adolescent, it's, it's very important to, um, to uh, talk about these things. And I, when I was a teacher, advisory was a big part of uh, middle school education. And they've done that since like the 90s, the school I was teaching at. And they're doing it right now in my son's school. So we could say SEL is part of advisory. You know, it's, it's always been part of good schooling, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, we kind of touched on a little bit of, of what our level three question is, but I want to go a little deeper into it. And I'm sure you have a different answer about challenges, right? So what what has been you know maybe the biggest challenge or obstacle that you've overcome in your journey to kind of get where you are now? Dissertation, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> like like all good doctors say, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, now, could you repeat the question? The uh, challenge? Yeah, of getting, what, what's hear? the biggest? Yeah, I think it's like one of one of the biggest obstacles or challenges that you faced in your in your journey to to being where you are now. Uh, that's a great question. I would say the the challenge is um, the challenge is within. I would say so. Let's say I take like a hero's journey. Uh, look at this because, well, this is a true story. I I I when I had my doctorate, I sent out I think fifty eight was a number. Um, I, I replied to fifty eight different applications, and it was, it was a lot. And I realized I had to move. Yep. It was pretty likely I would have to move out of out of where I was living, and my wife would have to move, and that was a big challenge. And I literally did get a call to adventure to accept the job, you know, <laughs> out here in Colorado. Yeah. And uh, just like a hero's journey, unbeknownst to me, there was a refusal of the call. I was like, I'm not. Thank you. I'm not sure if I could do this, but can I have some time to think about it? And then I I spoke to my wife, and she was like, No, you you have to do this. We should do this. You know, it's our our ticket out, essentially, right? And I called back. I took the job. And it was a lot. I don't know if I could do that again, you know. 
Uh, Hopefully I would never want to do that again (laughs) because here I am. But it was a lot like, you know, uprooting and moving across the country. Um, You know, my wife got a a job here and she finished out her master's degree where I'm teaching at University of Northern Colorado. Oh, nice. uh, My son's in a great school here. It's a competency-based, project-based learning type of school. It's awesome. Uh, Great. You know, it's grade list. It's all the things we talk about, teach about, right? Uh, But for that to all happen, there was a lot of effort involved and uh, a lot of overcoming fear, essentially, right? Because I guess people do this all the time, right? Uh, People will move all the time. They change jobs all the time. Yeah. It's difficult, right? It is. And I think it's interesting. Yeah, taking the leap. I think it's also like betting on yourself, you know, saying like, I can do it. I'll make it work. It'll work for my family. It'll work. You know, there are other logistics, obviously, that you have involved with it. Um, I had a similar feeling. I, I worked, uh, you know, I worked for the Obama White House for a while as a presidential innovation fellow and was basically commuting during the week from New York down to D.C. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those mental moments of like, should I do this? Like, this sounds like a wacky <laughs> idea. And my wife who's a saint <laughs> went, went along with it. But it's one of those things you need that support. But yeah, you need the support. But you also have to bet on yourself and say, hey, I'm going to make this uh, an opportunity that's going to be worthwhile. So I'm, I'm obviously glad, and obviously you are as well. And you've been in Colorado for how long? Like four or five years? Six. This is a six, six year years. now. And yeah, and I should say, uh, I'm sure you know this as well, is uh, imposter syndrome is a big part of it. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Always. I mean, that's yeah. that's where I, I really... Uh, I always admire those that have the confidence to go forward and do anything. I, I even think it's, uh, yeah, uh, we can probably make a whole different show about that, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's, it's very, very true. It's very true. Obviously it's clear to everybody hearing you talk about your journey. And I love the fact that you're calling it a hero's journey um, and, and the work that you've done and writing books and, and writing for Edutopia, which, you know, is, is one of those things that, uh, a, we share in common, and B, I, I've loved Edutopia since they were, you know, magazines and DVDs and yeah. you know, back in the, <laughs> in the early 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, you know, all of those things, it's, it's clear that you're very passionate about what you do. So, um, you know, my question is, especially for you who's a lifelong learner and always trying to adopt new things and bring things into your either teaching or things that you're personally learning about, what is something that you were, you know, most passionate about right now? Uh, either learning more about or learning and teaching about. All right. I'll say one of the other things I'm passionate about is, um, is uh, designing games uh, like that aspect of it. Cause I've been studying games for a while and getting to the, um, the creation part, I find very interesting. Uh, we are, um, we are going to be uh, having a call for a new book coming soon. And it's going to be about um, role-playing games in the classroom, tabletop role-playing games, because I feel like there's a lot there that can be even more so in classrooms because, um, well, there's not necessarily computers involved, right? It's it's an easier entry point for educators. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah, and I find that quite interesting. And I also like when when kids are making games all the time. There's so much learning that goes on. Uh, that's awesome. So uh, you've, you said a lot there and I'm, you know, personally, I'm passionate about kids designing games. That's one of the big things we've been trying to do with breakout is build in digital game builders and really trying to let them use the tools that we personally use to create our own digital games that, that kids could use too, and give them courses, not about how to do it with pushing the right buttons, but like mm-hmm. digging into kind of like the concepts behind it. So love that. 
uh, and, and building games of all other kinds. And then you're, you talked about role-playing and talked about being a and d fan. I have two D&D fanatics that I live with. My, my kids <laughs> have been playing D&D pretty hardcore for the last – actually, they're down in our basement right now playing uh, on their on – their, digital map table. (laughs) Yeah, that's their, that's their thing. So, um, you know, I love that that's become, and I guess stranger things probably has something to do with it. And now there's a big movie that's out and, you know, it's become very popular and a hundred percent. I mean, the, the SEL tie that literally can just tie back into all the things you've been talking about that you've been studying and working on. Um, so I love that. It's, it's really, really cool. And to see that come into the classroom with more acceptance and understanding, whether it's D&D or obviously, you know, there's, uh, as <laughs> as you know, and I'm sure the audience knows, there's a million different flavors. But uh, it, it's really a pretty interesting thing to see. And that's that's how my kids got into it was it was mm-hmm. for social skills and like developing those those different pieces. So very, very cool. There's another thing I'm interested in as well. And I just had an article published this week. I wrote an article with uh, Dr. Jim Erickson, who is a. Uh, a reading literacy uh, professor here at UNC. And uh, we wrote an article in Children's and Libraries, uh, Children and Libraries, which is a journal from the American Library Association about uh, games as paired texts. So we're really interested in that. Uh, the way that you can take a book and a game, like a narrative game and a book and pair them together, invite oh, cool. them into literature circles and classrooms, uh, how games have specific emotional affordances because of player agency. So in a game, you may feel joy and pride, but you can also feel guilt and regret. And yes, there are citations for all of those. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but we, we looked at this game called Lost Words Beyond the Page, which was written by Rihanna Pratchett. Uh, her, her, that, she's actually uh, Terry Pratchett's daughter, Terry Pratchett, uh, the, oh, cool. uh, the novelist. And yeah, yeah. she wrote a lot of really interesting games. Uh, this one tells uh, two different stories. Uh, one is in uh, pages of a um, like a hero's journey, imaginative story, but the other real life one is told in the pages of a journal, uh, and it's about the death of her grandmother and what effect that has on her family. And that part of the game is mapped to the uh, stages of grief. Oh, and, wow. uh, we found a young adult novel that's taught in schools called um, titled "The Thing About Jellyfish," which also has this parallel structure of a hero's journey and a journal. And it's about a young girl whose best friend drowned. Uh, but she thinks maybe if she understands about jellyfish stings, um, she might be able to process that better. And um, these, these two forms of media pair together in very powerful ways. So we suggest this to, um, to librarians uh, to um, start considering different ways that there are different narrative games that you can pair with text. I've done some work right now. I'm still doing work with uh, uh, Tracy Fullerton at University of Southern California. Uh, she created Walden a Game, and we worked together on the curriculum of Walden a Game EDU. Uh, we've developed some uh, card games too, which uh, you can get on Game Crafter. Uh, if you look up Walden a Game EDU, it's uh, it's free to play, and um, that pairs the the game and the book, also the Thoreau's book and and her game together. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you have Apple TV Plus, uh, you can see a cameo of Tracy on Mythic Quest. Oh, very cool! <laughs> like season one, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great show. <laughs> that's very, yeah. very cool. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you're obviously interested in a lot, which I think related back to our our passion conversation, which is great. Um, 
you know, wrapping it up, like I feel like our level five question, which is our, our last round is about kind of the best advice you've gotten along your educational journey. So there's so many people that are listening that are just like, ah, what's the best nugget? And I feel like if you ask enough really smart people with, <laughs> with great stories like yourself, you, you get a really good uh, collection of these. So what would be the best advice and advice that maybe uh, would be relevant for listeners as well? Well, it's uh, another great question. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually also another hat aware is that I'm the coordinator for K-12 and secondary teacher education programs at our university, University of Northern Colorado. And uh, uh, my, uh, my department, my classes, we're in uh, teacher education. I teach pre-service teachers ed tech. So uh, I give a lot of advice. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, really uh, good advice is to follow your passion right? But also to look at uh, best practices that are out there. I, I lead teachers to, um, boy, I introduced them to Minecraft education and to Edutopia. And to uh, we play breakout early on in the courses. Every class we teach, I teach breakout EDU in my courses. That's I'm awesome. not saying that just because you're here. But I, <laughs> I do that because I teach them how to use Google tools. And so they can understand the TPAC framework mm-hmm. um, through, through experiences. And I just keep giving them, we do genius hour in my courses. And awesome. um, what, what they take away from that, I think, is how project-based learning and learning through projects and bringing your, how they bring their own interests and passions to my courses is something that they can, they can pay it forward to their students. So if they really love games, if they really love, I don't know, Shakespeare, podcasting, whatever it is, they can bring those experiences into their classrooms. But um, there's a lot there when you teach in that regard. You're you're meeting uh, many aspects of universal design for learning. You're um, bringing in multimodalities of learning, right? But to really boost those um, areas of of passion, I think um, in to me, when I was teaching um, middle school, I didn't burn out. Because my class was one where it was more of games and puzzles, I'd say, where it was so open-ended, you know, I would just try anything, right, that would, uh, that I think would be engaging and, and that also engaged students, but really kept the fire in me going. Yeah. I long mean, answer, but. <laughs> no, no, long answer, but it's, it's great advice. And I think it harkens back to your other response about taking that leap when you moved out and, uh, you know took, took on your doctorate work. I think that that's, that's, you know, let passion drive you and don't be afraid to follow those dreams. I mean, I think that that's uh, tried and true. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know, I, oh, here's the other piece of advice. One more. Yeah. That, go for um, it. Yeah. Don't, I, I, this is an ed tech thing, but I'm always like, Hey, wait, let's say podcasting or making a breakout game. I always tell students or going on Canva. I don't know. I say like, Hey, don't feel like you have to be the expert of this. You have to, you have to yep. just try it. You know, like, don't teach a young adult novel without reading the novel, right? Just try it. Um, but when you're in the classroom and you look out, you're, you don't have to worry about yourself being the game designer or the podcast expert. There's 20 of them right in front of you, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and that's when it gets exciting, when you have 20 different brilliant projects to go through. Yeah. Rather yeah. than 20 different worksheets. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone who's quote-unquote expert has still obviously a lot left to learn. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that, that that's all great advice. Well, I mean, Matthew, thanks so much for, for taking some time with us. Uh, where can we find you online? I know we have the new book, which is um, 
Ga- uh, I have it right here. All right. I know you have the new book, which is Gaming SEL, Games as Transformational to Social Emotional Learning. And you mentioned writing for Edutopia. Anywhere else we should check out online? Um, I try to keep my website up to date. So, excuse me, MatthewFarber.com. Awesome. Well, and that's on for- Twitter, if, uh, if anybody's still on there. <laughs> depends <laughs> on the day. Kidding. Yeah, it depends on the day, you know. Oh, I hate this site. I'm going to stay on it, you know, but whatever. <laughs> That's life, right? But yeah, no, uh, MatthewFarber.com. You'll find everything there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, we'll provide all those links in the show notes. And again, thanks so much for taking some time. And until the next time, everyone, game on.